Welcome to another episode of Duff Shui Weekly Duff. Give me 40 minutes or so and I'll give you a duff or so. We are in the last week leading up to Shavuot, last week of the counting of the Omer, last of the seven weeks. Week seven. One of my favorite teachings on Shavuot is teaching of the Ishbitzer who asks why in the 19th chapter of Exodus, 19th chapter of Shemot, where it says in the beginning that after two months, two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they got to the desert of Sinai and they stood before Sinai. And he asks why at this most holy transcendent of moments does the verse remember Egypt, the lowest of their moments. If Egypt was the lowest point in holiness or lack of holiness and Sinai was the highest, why remember Egypt at this moment? And his answer is that actually, according to a statement in Perkei Avot, Ethics of the Fathers, every single day, a heavenly voice goes out from Mount Sinai, saying, I am the Lord your God. The question is, can we hear it? And we can only hear it when we get out of Egypt, meaning we can only hear it when we get Egypt out of us. And what is Egypt? Well, we understand that from the continuation. I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Egypt is the place of oppression, of systemic oppression, of slavery, of immorality and injustice. It's not a geographic location. It's a, a, a space of injustice. And so until we get out of injustice, until we get injustice out of us, until we get racism and systemic oppression out of us, we cannot hear, I am the Lord, your God, I am God. So let's hope that in this week, final week, leading up to Shavuot, the holiday which commemorates the giving of the Torah, that we do what we can to get the racism out of us, and the systemic oppression out of us, so we are on 25A, right at the top, three words in, in the edition published and popularized by the widow and brothers Ram in Vilna, though these 150 years ago. We're starting with the Mishnah. And we're still, the Mishnah and then the Gemara is still concerned with setting boundaries and how much boundaries impact property that's next door to your property. How much do you have to, how much leeway, how much leeway do you have to give to your neighbor's property? What do you have to do in order not to damage your neighbor's property? What is considered actually damaging as opposed to passively doing something that ends up in damage and all those questions. And also around the boundaries of the city. We're continuing here with the city like we had in the last mission. Machikin et nivalot. We distance the uh, carcasses and the graves and the tanning places from the city. 50 amot. One can only set up a tannery to the east of the city. And this is all so that, seemingly all so that the smell from the corpses and from the um, hides and from the graves don't get into the city or befoul the city. And therefore, you can only make a tannery to the east of the city, having to do with which way the wind blows. 
Rabbi Akiva Omer, Lechol Ruach Hoseh Chutz Mimah Umarchik Chamishimama. Rabbi Akiva says, every, he can do it in any direction except for west. And we'll see in the Gemara why west. That's the question they ask. It has to do with the wind, perhaps. Umarchik Chamishimama. And you have to distance it 50 amot. And then the Gemara is going to ask the question, why, what's the difference between this 50 amot and the previous 50 amot, which we had in the first line? Is Rabbi Akiva limiting that to the western side or not? So, one has to distance a dye bin, place that you're dyeing clothes from vegetables because the dye could leak out and ruin the vegetables. And one has to distance the leeks from the onions. And the Rambam, in his explanation and commentary on the mission, says it's because the leeks take away from the heat of the onions. I'll trust him because I don't know anything more about it. And the chardal and the mustard from the bees. Rashi says that the bees sting can uh, destroy the mustard plant. Rabiosi matira chardal. Rabiosi permits in chardal with the mustard plants, and that'll be uh, explained a little bit further on based on the tasefta at the end of this gemara. Okay, gemara ibailu. A question is asked. Rabbi Akiva hechi kamar. What did actually Rabbi Akiva say? Right. This is a this is an interesting piece of Gemara because it's actually asking it's asking a question in, in in understanding a sentence which is obviously hard to understand. Right. Because Rabbi Akiva said ruach marava ama. He, He's allowed to place um, the burski the tannery in any direction except for the west, and he has to uh, distance it. 25 amot. So, what is he saying? The Gemara asks, is he saying, He's allowed to place it in any direction and place it right up against the wall of, this, of the town, except on the western side, in which he has to distance it, he has to take it 50 amot away, and then he can build it there. Oh, Dilma, or perhaps what the line says, Or is it that he says that what Rabbi Kiva is actually saying is that he can make it in any direction he wants as long as he distances it 50 amot, except for the western side, in which he can't make it at all. Tashma. So this is a, a, a classic Ibai. So we are going to, we introduce a text to try to figure out the answer, which horn of the dilemma we're going with. Tashma, Detanya. So this is a Braita, the Braita here in Bavvatra. We have it in Tosefta. Rabbi Akiva Omer, L'chol ruach hu oseh, umarchik hamishim ama chutz mimaraba de'eino oseh kol ikar, mipnei shehi tedira. Rabbi Akiva says, he's allowed to build the, the tannery in, every, in any direction and distancing it 50 amot except on the West, in which he can't do it at all, because it is constant. And then we're going to ask the question, what is constant? But I want to stop here for a minute. So he's going to Rabbi Akiva. What Rabbi Akiva is saying is that on towards the Western side, you're not allowed to build a tannery at all. And when he said, that was 
one statement he can in the Mishnah that he can put it in any direction except for the West. That's a general statement. And he has to, in all other directions, he has to distance it 50 amot. Now, the interesting thing here is that in all the in just about all the manuscripts, it, before Mipneshi Hi Tadira is a question, Maitama. That's a typical stomated question, which then, and then the answer comes right after Mipneshi Tadira because it is consistent or constant. We don't know yet what it's constant in. It's not self-explanatory, but it's this a stomated question, which is then answered. Now, it's a problem because it's a stomated question, which is then answered from the Tosefta, which is the continuation of the previous line in the Tosefta. So Tosfot notes this already and says, so therefore we don't amend the text so that we take out Maitama, because Maitama has somehow got in, in the way. And therefore, all the additions after Tosfot don't have Maitama, and that's why in the printed the earliest printed edition in 1511 and and our printed editions in the Vilna don't have Maitama. And the truth is, Tosfot is probably right. The Maitama got in there in some, some way, but this is an interesting way in which we see the interaction between the commentaries and the text. Right? Tosfot, sometimes, often we have this with Rashi, where Rashi says, Hachi Garcina, and this is the way we read the text, and then the text ends up being amended the way Rashi said we should read it. Um, and only if we go back to the manuscripts do we see that there was originally, or that there was a different version of the text. Okay, so we're going to go on. So now the question is, what is Tadira? What is it that is consistent? Perhaps you will say that it's because that the, the wind is consistent. Now that actually kind of seems to make sense in the context of the Mishnah, because the Mishnah is saying that there's a problem here, right? All these things are damaging to the city. So therefore, uh, if there's consistent wind on the western side, so then that's why you wouldn't want to build it on the western side. You wouldn't want to permit building the tannery on the western side. But Vaha, so this is going to raise a question, to this, raise a challenge. Amar Rav Chanan Bar Abba Amar Rav Chanan Bar Abba said in the name of Rav, Dalad Ruchot Menashot B'chol Yom V'ruach Tzfonit Im Kulan. There are four different winds that blow every day, and the northern wind is with all of them. Shil Malei Kain Ein HaOlam Mitkayim Afilu Shachat. Without that one, without the northern wind, the world wouldn't even be able to exist even one hour. And so therefore, and it goes on, and it's the southern wind, which is the harshest wind. And if not for Ben Nates, is some kind of angel or demon that stands and stops it, the world would be destroyed. This is in the 37th chapter of Eov, and God is asking Eov, is it from your understanding that you can get the eagle its pinions and make its uh, wings spread out? And then from that, the um, the Gemara is taking, is reading it in a very specific way, saying, is it by your wisdom that the hawk grows pinions in the JPS? So taking it and reading it so that so nets, reading nets as a demon. So ben nets, from the word binatcha, I think, 
it's not totally clear to me how the measures gets from the the proof text back to the statement, except for the nets and taking nets to mean some kind of an angel. That's the way Rashi explains it. That stops the wind. That keeps the world from being destroyed. But the the question is, this raises the question that the western wind is not the most consistent of the wind. It's either, it's it seems to be that it's the northern wind, right? Because it says that there are four winds that blow all day, and the northern wind blows with all of them. So that seems to be the wind that is tadir. If you want a wind that's consistent, that's going all the time, that would seem to be the wind. Elamai tadira. So what, and we're going to get back a little later, little, talk a little bit about what this means with the winds and the, the distances and the and the earth. We'll get back to that in a minute. But first, we're going to go on to a different fascinating conversation. Ella Maitidira. So this time I asked, what actually is the Tadir Tadira Bitfila? It means that it is consistent in prayer. Now, this is in according to all the manuscripts, whereas the printed edition has Tadira Bishchina, um, that it is consistent in God's presence. And that's the reason for that. We'll see in a minute. It's because the conversation goes to where is the Shekhinah in the world, and one of the opinions is in the West, but in the immediately following, the immediately following statement doesn't make sense so much with with saying as Shekhinah, and the um, manuscripts all have tefillah, so we'll, we're going to go with that. It's consistent in the direction of prayer. So Rabbi Shua ben Levi says, let us hold gratitude to our ancestors who told us, and it's Hodiuni, Hodiunu or Hodiuni in the manuscripts, who taught us, who told us the place of prayer. And this could mean the direction of prayer. Because it says to you all the heavenly retinue, will pray, it says in Nehemiah 9, 6, You, God, are alone. You created the heavens and the heavens of the heavens and all of the hosts. The earth and all that is on it. The seas and all that are in them. And you have brought them all to life. And the hosts of the heavens bow down to you. So therefore, this is the, the uh, apparently this is telling us the place of prayer is towards God. So Rav Yaakov says, perhaps, actually, why do you say this? So therefore, that perhaps it is like a slave who takes something, a some kind of reward from his master, and then he shuffles off backwards and bows as he's leaving. So even though he's going in one direction, he's actually bowing in the other direction. So So therefore, it could be that actually the opposite of the place is bowing down is where God is, is where the Shekhinah is. Rabbi Shaya Savar, and as opposed to this, Rabbi Shaya Savar, Rabbi Yashaya says that God or the Shechina is in every is in every place. There's no specific direction. Because Rabbi Yashaya Why is it saying in the beginning of that verse, you, God, are alone, you have created the heavens and the heavens and the heavens? 
Your messengers are not like messengers of flesh and blood. The messengers of flesh and blood from the place that they are sent from to there, they return their their shlichut, their agency. They get whatever they get and they bring it back to the place that they left. But your agents, your shluchim, go and bring uh, the thing that they had to get in their shlichut to the place that they were sent. So you don't have to bring it back if the king sends you someplace or the queen sends you someplace or whoever sends you someplace. You usually go and do something and bring it back to whoever sent you. With God, it's different. You go and you do it, and you bring it to wherever you're going. As it says in the verse, will you send out thunderbolts, and they will go and say to you, here we are. It doesn't say they will go and say. Rather, it says, and they will go and they will go. All right? Uh, they will go away. In other words, that they will go to the place where you are, and then they'll say, um, because the shechina is in every place. And right? so, in other words, so therefore, you go wherever you get, end up. That is where God is also. Rabbi Shmuel also said that the divine presence is in every place. Because it says in the house of Rabbi Shmuel, how do we know that the Shechina is in every place? Because it says in Zechariah, here, this is a, a famous passage in Zechariah where the angel is going to come down and he's, got, he's measuring out Jerusalem. And so he says, here, behold, the angel who was talking to me left, and another angel came out to greet him, or towards him. It doesn't say another angel came out after him, but another angel came out towards him. Because this teaches that the divine presence is in every place, and Assumingly, it teaches that because we assume that the angel was coming from God. So if one angel was came from one place, another angel came from the other place because they're facing each other. So they're both coming from God because God is in every place. But after Rav Sheshit also held that the divine presence was in every place. Because Rav Sheshit said to his assistant, according to makes more sense because the Aramaic, according to the manuscripts. So Rav Sheshit said to his assistant, Rav Sheshit was blind. That you have to know in order to understand this. Stand me in any direction except for east. So how does that show that he holds that the Shekinah is in every place? He said, don't stand me towards east when he was praying. And the reason that he said not east is not because there is no Shekinah, there's no God's presence in the east. But rather, because the the minim, the uh, heretics or the pagans, or it's unclear who they're talking about here, but they they either taught that one is supposed to pray to the east, as Rashi says, and there are some 
hints of that in uh, the Mishnah when it describes the temple and it describes the, that the way that the temple is oriented, which is actually east to west, um, and the sun rises in the east, and when it rises in the east, it, it hits a gold plate that's set up in the temple. There's, there's a, a, a dramatic passage in Mishnah Yoma in the, in the second chapter, where when, it, when the sun hits that golden plate, it, it kind of explodes, and somebody yells Barkai, and then the service begins. Um, and there's another place in the Mishnah where it says that we do not worship the sun like our ancestors did. So apparently there are those, so, so Rav Shesha did not want to be suspected of worshiping the east, towards the east. And this should raise flags for everybody because that's the direction we worship in. We'll get that to that in a minute. Rabbi Abao Amar, Shekhinah B'mar, Rabbi Abao said, no, the divine presence is in the west. The Amar Rabbi Abao my Orya Avir Ya says what what does Orya, which is a another term for for West, it is the air of God. So the Ruach of God. Okay. Um so before we go on, and we're gonna get back to winds a little bit later, we're gonna get back to directions a little bit later. Well, we're going to get back to the winds in a minute, but I want to, the, the whole notion of in what direction does one pray to seems to have been settled in the Mishnah. Now it is unsettled, right? This would be a surprise for people who go to synagogue on a regular basis and pray on a regular basis. You pray to the east, you pray towards Yerushalayim. And that's actually uh, explicitly said in Tosefta Brachot 316. One was standing outside of the land of Israel. One orients one's heart towards land of Israel. If one stands in the land of Israel, one orients their heart towards Yerushalayim. If one stands in Yerushalayim, then one prays towards the temple. If one is standing in the temple, then they orient their hearts towards the, towards the Holy of Holies, the Sanctum Sanctorum. And then all of Israel are praying in the same direction to the, to the same place. And so, whereas there it seems that it's pretty settled and there's no machloket and the Mishnah repeats it. Um, here it's, uh, it's obvious that it's not settled because Shechina is in every single place. And we'll see later on in the Sugya that some people pray to the south, some people pray to the north. So this seems to have taken a while, and there's actually later on also a question about where one should put windows and doors in uh, in the, the synagogue and whether the, the windows and the doors should be facing towards east or towards west, towards Jerusalem or away from Jerusalem. And the archaeological finds are that the opposite of what we would expect. And the, the the doors are towards the east and the the walls are towards the west in many of the archaeological finds of the of synagogues. So this was something that developed over many years, even though now, especially for um, Ashkenazi Jews, it is obvious you go into shul and you pray to the east. Though when you go there, and actually this become a thing that, you know, there's a whole thing, Akira Mizrahi, the Mizrahvant in Yiddish, that the eastern wall is the important wall. That's because it's the wall that's towards Jerusalem. 
But the truth is that it's become, it's not necessarily, so it's not necessarily about directionality, perhaps, because in Israel, everybody actually follows what the Tosefta says here, that you go, you pray towards Yerushalayim. Okay, so that is that is a little bit on directionality of prayer and the way that the space, is, whether or not there is a directionality or or not, or you can pray in any direction. If you say, that the divine presence is every place, then you don't need one specific place to pray. And God is everywhere, so you can pray anywhere you want. Okay, now we're going to go back to winds and directions. Right? So the winds and directions... The ruach can be both wind and direction. And we were talking about ruach here as direction, but it's also a little bit of wind. And so we're going to go on in the Gemara and then get a little context from Roman meteorology and astronomy. Amar of Yehuda. Yehuda said, What does it say? My teachings, my lekach, my teachings, shall fall like the rain. So that's not what it means, but it's rather, this is the western wall, this is the western wind, which comes from the back of the world. So the western, the west is the back of the world. Um, seems to come from the same word as orpo. So ya'arof instead of coming, instead of falling or or raining down it means that it this is the western wind that comes from the back of the world so tizal katal imrati which um, my saying shall flow like the dew this is the northern wind which now here mazelet etazahav would seem to mean to make the gold cheaper, but here within the context of tizal, make the gold, uh, melt the gold, as it says, hazalim zahav mikis, which means in this context, according to JPS, those who squander gold from the purse. In the context in Isaiah, it refers to idolaters who melt gold and measure out silver to make idols. However, this verse in Isaiah is something of a hapax. In other words, it's a singular phenomenon, the way that it is used there, hazalim. And the Midrash here is using a different part of the semantic field, translating it back to the first verse, tizal katal imrati, so that hazalim means who makes the gold run. And then in general, means it means that the north wind is a hot wind which melts gold. Okay? So the northern wind is the wind that, that's hot, kisirim aleidesha, zu ruach, Mizrachit shemas eret et kol haolam kisayir, and so as sheep on the grass, this is the west. This is the eastern wind, which mas eret et kol uh, makes all the world alive or fraught or jumping up and down like a like a lamb. Uchir vivim aleidesha, and like uh, raindrops on the grass. So this is the southern wind, which brings up the dew and makes the makes the grass grow. So in order to understand this piece and the next piece, I don't understand it, but to put it in context, a little bit about the understanding of the world in late antiquity. So Vitruvius, who was lived in the first century, died 15 years before 
the Common Era. He didn't actually know it was 15 years before the Common Era, but, you know, there you go. Wrote, uh, he had a, has a famous book, one of the most famous books on architecture called Ten Books on Architecture. And he writes the following. The heaven revolves steadily around earth and sea on the pivots at the end of its axis. So that's the quote. The heaven revolves steadily around earth and sea on the pivots at the ends of its axis. And he goes on and explains this. And ultimately what he means is the earth and seas are kind of a flat circle. And far above the earth and the seas is one pivot point, one end of the axle, and far below is the other. The heavens are, as it were, attached at these two points and revolve around the earth and the seas. So north, therefore, for Vitruvius is up, while south is down. And Barbara Oberst, another scholar, has an article called Wind Diagrams in Medieval Cosmology. In an ancient handbook literature, and in its medieval continuation, two theories prevail concerning the material substance of winds. Winds were considered to be a condition or state of air or moving air, or air flowing in one direction. Thus, Isidore defines wind as moved and agitated air, or citing Lucretius's Durerum Natura, states that wind arises when air is stirred up. Otherwise, following the Aristotelian view, winds were defined as dry, earthly exhalations. Throughout Western cosmology, irregularity was associated with irrationality and violence, and accordingly, winds were sometimes correlated with evil in the hierarchy of moral values. And we'll see that even more in a bit in the Gemara. However, the four major winds also appear in the opposite role of guarantor of cosmic order by being associated with the cardinal axes, the other winds being reduced to the subordinate position of potential troublemakers. And we saw that in the contrast between the southern wind and the northern wind before and trying to understand what Tidira was. Suetonius, a first, second century Roman historian, has the following long poem, but there's like just five lines from it. Four winds blow from the four pans of the world, each maintaining two companions inferior to it. They are placed as a circle, as in a circle, each beneath a fixed climate. Thus they move the elements so that these do not come to the same winds at the same rune. The first comes from the axis and brings freezing cold. Then he goes on for pages and pages. The point of it being that these are things that just, if reading the rabbis here by themselves, is just a hallucinatory kind of vision of the world. But actually, they were somewhat, you know, accommodating the understanding of the world that was in their times, which is understandable, and reading it back into and out of the Bible. Okay, so that's the, so there are four Four directions, four winds. This week's podcast is brought to you by Luchot Vishivre Luchot, Artistic Restoration. When it's time to get those broken potsherds out of the basement and put them back together just the way they were when they got here with the Judean exiles, you want the restoration experts of Luchot Vishivre Luchot on your side. And for this month only, listeners to this podcast will get a 20% discount on their first restoration. Just go to www.luchotvishivreluchot.com slash dafshui. That's www.luchotvishivreluchot, just the way it sounds, dot com slash dafshui to make an appointment. And we go on. Tanya, Rabbi Lezer, Omer, Olam. So now we're going to go on. Rabbi Lezer is going to explain what the world is like and where the sun fits into all this. Remember, we had... So this is a little different, but we have Vitruvius said that the heavens spinned around the earth and the seas on an axis that went from way above the earth, way below the earth, the north-south axis. And they were like a globe that spun around this flat, round earth and seas. And that's a picture that continues later. And the, the whole notion that it becomes like spheres inside spheres. And then 
the music of the cosmos, the music of the spheres, is actually the sound that the different spheres make when they grate against each other. So if you've heard that expression. Tanya, Reb Lezer Omer, Olam lachsadrehu domev, ruach tzvonit, enam isuvevet. So Rebelezer says the world is like an achsadra, an etcetera, which is like a kind of a, a passageway, which is covered, and it has walls around it. But the northern end is not does not have a wall, is not walled off. So you have three walls, and the northern end is not walled off. And when the sun gets through the whole, this whole passageway, which is shining on the earth, then and it gets to the northwestern, the, the northwestern corner, then it is forced to go up and over the top of the heavens. And that means it goes up above the roof, and therefore it's not seen at night. Rabbi Yeshua, Omer, Rabbi Yeshua says... So the actually the world is like a kind of a, a tent, and completely enclosed, even on the the northern end. And once the when the sun gets to the northwestern corner, it turns around and it goes outside of the 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 kippah outside of the the kind of the dome and goes back to where it started in the morning. It goes to the south and then it turns around to the north. It goes to the south during the day and it turns around to the north at night. Another verse it turns and turns the, the wind, and on its turning, the wind returns. These are the east and the west, um, that sometimes they are they turn or return, and sometimes they are on the, the pathway. In other words, at different times of year, and this is how they're alluding to the ways that the sun is different places in the sky at different times of the year. And he, uh, as Rabbi Yeshua would say, this brings in Rabbi Lezer, Rabbi Lezer said that the world is like an achsadra. So this is the, so Rabbi Lezer gets it from Min HaCheder Tavo Sufa Zu Ruach Dromit. Um Zarim Kara Zu Ruach Tzvonit. Right, so this is a verse in Job. Right, the storm wind comes from its chamber, and the cold from the constellations. By the breath of God, ice is formed, and the expanse of water becomes solid. If you think about that and look at it too long, it doesn't actually. It makes less and less sense the more you look at it. So it's better when we just look at it midrashically. Min hacheder tavo sufa. The storm wind comes from its chamber. Zurach jomit. This is the southern wind. And the cold from its constellations is the northern wind. By the breath of God, ice is formed. This is the western wind. And the expanse of water becomes solid. This is the eastern wind. 
So ah, so then the question is asked, Ha Amar Ma Ruach Jomit Gadelet Asabim. But didn't we say just above that the southern wind raises up dew and makes the grass grow? And here we said uh Ruach Jomit is is a sufa, is a uh, a storm wind. La Kasha. So no, that's not a question. It's not a difficulty because one is talking about that when the rain comes down in nicely and softly, and one is talking about when it pours, when it pours down. Okay, so now this this is not the only place in, in Chazal that we have the this explanation of all the winds and the directions. We have it also. In Sifri Dvarim, there's a, a, another explanation of it, also on the verse, Yarov Kamatar Lekhi, in the same verse in Deuteronomy, and goes into the discussion of all of the four different winds. All right, and we're not finished yet. Amarav Chista, Maidichtiv Mitzafon, Zahav Yata, Zuroch Tzfonit, Shemazelet et Zahav, Lechenu Omer, Hazalim Zahav Mikis. So going back to that verse that we had before, why does it say from the north, the, the the gold comes. This is the northern wind, which melts the gold, as it says, Hazalim Zahav Mekis, those who melt the gold from their pocket. So now we're we're done. Um, well, we're not. Amar Rafram Bar Papa, Amar Avchista, Rafram Bar Papa, Senanir Avchista, Miyom Shecharav Beit Mikdash Lohug Shema Ruach Jomit. From the time that the, the temple was destroyed, the southern wind did not bring rain. Shnamar Bayigzor al Yamin Viraev Vyochal al Smol Velo Saveu. As it says that and it decreed in Yeshaya nine nineteen, and he decreed on the right and they were hungered, and the eight on the left, and they did were not satisfied. Uchtiv Safon Vyamina Tabratam and in Psalms eighty nine it says you created north and right, meaning that right must be south. And here we have the combination of south and hunger. And so therefore, obviously, the southern wind did not bring rain from the time of, of the destruction of the temple. But Amar Raphram Bar Papa Amar Chista, and Raphram Bar Papa also said in the name of Chista, Miyom Shacharav Beit Mikdash, in the time the temple was destroyed, Enag Shamim Yardim Meotzar Tov. The rain does not come down from the good treasury. From the good treasury. So, in other words, bad rain only comes out. Shneamar Yiftach Hashem because it says, and God will in the future open up to you his treasury of good. The time that Israel is doing the will of God, and Israel is. Resting on their own land in the land of Israel, the rains come down from the good treasury. Israel is not resting on their land. The rain does not come down from the good treasury. Going back to our earlier question of which way to daven, which way to pray, in which direction, he says one who wants to gain knowledge should pray towards the south, and one who wants to become rich should pray towards the north. 
And the sign of this is that the table in the temple, the Shulchan, is in the north and the menorah is in the south. So the, the, the menorah symbolizes intelligence, intellect, because it's fire, and fire is the most subtle of the material forms, perhaps. At least that's, that's the way Philo saw it. Um, and the shulchan, which has on it the, the shubred, the lechem panim, is in the north, and so that symbolizes wealth. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, Amar Olam Yadrim. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi says, no, you should always pray towards the south. Because from out of gaining intelligence, you'll also become rich. That's why you should go to college. Because it says the length of days is in his right and in his left, riches and honor. Okay. So what's going on here? Rabbi Shubin Levi here says you should always pray towards the south. And Rabbi Shubin Levi also says that the God's presence is in the west. So there seems to be a contradiction. The Mitzadi, that's Dudei. So it means the south towards the west. In other words, like the southwesterly direction. So you catch both south and you catch west. You catch Shechina and you also catch intelligence. So Hanina said um, to Ravashi, we who are living, we are living north of Eretz Yisrael. In other words, we're living in Babel, in Babylonia. We are, and we are north of the land of Israel. Not really, but we are, but it's, that's, that's uh, the way it is understood. Um, pray towards the south. Come on, how do we know that Babel was north of the land of Israel? From the north will open, will start the evil on all of the, the inhabitants of the land. And that is that north is Babel. Okay, it's a nice way to talk about the whole Babylonian community as 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 where evil comes from. It's actually not talking about the Babylonian Jewish community, but there you go. Okay, we move on to the next part of the Mishnah. Um, we have to distance the dying place from the vegetables and the leeks from the onions and the bees from the mustard plants. Tana, Rabbi Matir Bechardal. Rabbi actually, in, in the Mishnah, teaches us Rabbi permits putting the bees next to the mustard. Why? Because the, the bee owner says, Once you say to me, before you say to me, move your mustard plants away from, from my bees, I can say to you, move your bees away from my mustard plants. Shabbat. Um, because they're coming and they're eating the plants of my mustard plants, the, the bulbs of my mustard plants. All right, we're going to go a little bit into the next mission. We just finished the Mishnah. The Mishnah is interesting. Before we go on, the Mishnah is an interesting intersection of a discussion about the place of the Shekhinah, on which is dependent the direction of prayer, and kind of this cosmic analysis of winds and, and the natural phenomena. And so it's interesting that the, the discussion of the place of prayer was literally embedded 
within the discussion of the natural phenomena of the world and just reinforcing the notion that the describing the natural phenomena, the natural world, what does the world look like? Where does the sun come from? Is basically describing the creation of God, right? basically describing God. And where do you pray? So this describing the different ways that we have of understanding what the world looks like and what the sun looks like and the planets look like, according to the rabbis, doesn't contradict saying that you can pray in one of any of the directions. And also the fact that it's interesting that obviously their notion of the way the world looked like is not something is read into, back into biblical verses, but comes from outside sources and understandings. Okay. We're going to go on to the next Mishnah. This might be familiar because we already saw it in the beginning of this chapter, in 17, in Zion. You have to distance the tree from the cistern 25 amot, 25 cubits. And if a carob tree and a sycamore tree, which have long roots, 50 amot, 50 cubits. Whether it's Above it or on the side, above it meaning like if you have a hill side and it's it's above it on the hill. If the cistern was there first, you cut down the tree and you pay for it. In other words, the 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 owner of the cistern pays to have the tree cut down. If the tree was there first, you don't cut the tree down. And if it's not clear which one came first, you don't cut it down. Rabiosi Omer, and Rabiosi again, who's the private property guy, the I could do whatever I want on my side if you could do whatever you want on your side. Even if the cistern came before the tree, you don't cut it down because this guy's digging the cistern in his field and this guy's planting the tree in his field and there's no... One, neither of them has a legal challenge to the other one. Okay. So the Gemara asks, Tana ben shabor lamata vilan lamala, ben shabor lamala vilan lamata. It doesn't make a difference if the cistern is lower and the tree is higher, or if the cistern is higher and the tree is lower. Vishlamabor lamata vilan lamala kaazlin sharshav sharshin mazki la labor. So, okay, it makes sense if the cistern is lower and the tree is higher. So then we follow, then, then the, the roots from the tree will come down and they will damage the cistern, right? Because the, just the way that gravity works, it goes down the, the hill. But if the cistern is above and the tree is below, why? It would seem to move away, go to the other direction. Amarabi Chaga B'Shem Rabiosi, Rabbi said in the name of Rabiosi, Rabnesha Machlidin Eta Karka Umalkin Karkaita Shilbor. Because what happens is when the roots go out, it undoes the earth and it hurts the earth that is around, that it beats on the earth that is around the cistern and apparently makes it weaker and therefore the cistern doesn't hold as well. Okay, we're going to stop here with just this teaser into this next Mishnah. And we'll continue next week. I'm so grateful that you joined me for this time in my Beit Midrash in the closet, my Safer at Home study hall. I am Aryeh Cohen. You can follow me on Twitter at 
Irmiklat, I-R-M-I-K-L-A-T. And as always, my deepest thanks to Eli Unger Sargon, my producer, for the way he will polish up this episode of Daf Shui, Weekly Daf, Give Me 40 Minutes, and I'll give you a Daf or so. Glad you're here. Please come back next week. If you enjoyed the last 40 minutes or so, please go to the Apple podcast page and rate this podcast. That way it will attract other people. And we'll have a great and mighty sound of Torah coming out of my safer at home closet. Okay, and that's it.